Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms now wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you don't already follow us on social media, please do. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm at Carmen LaBerge most places. Um, Faith Radio is at My Faith Radio or at Faith Radio. Um, You can find us on all the socials. We'd love for you to connect with us there where we're seeking to equip you and inspire you throughout the day. Um, and also, you know, provide good positive things for you to then pass along to others. If you don't already have the Faith Radio app on your connected devices, let me recommend that to you as well. It's a great way to access um, everything that you hear live on the air. You can then access it um, later as well at uh, on the Faith Radio app. It's also a great way to listen when... Um, You know, when our live radio signals sound like this. Yeah, that's my, I don't know. Is that a good, is that a good staticky radio sound, Paul? Can you, mm -hmm, much better. Yeah, I got Much better, much better. If you hear that on your radio, then you should go on your phone and bring up the Faith Radio app and listen there instead, because it's always crystal clear, which is super duper nice. All right, a few headlines um, here this morning. North Korea Um, test-fired 23 missiles on Wednesday, including one that landed just 40 miles off the coast of South Korea. It's the most missiles they've ever fired in a day. It was followed by three on the following day, which would have been yesterday. Um, Definitely has the United States and South Korea in in a state of heightened alert. Um, Lots of warning missiles then going, you know, back the other direction, Um, North Korea saying, hey, South Korea started it by conducting, you know, this military exercise with the United States, which they regard as a clear provocation. Um, Let's be praying in, you know, let's be praying over all these things. The Korean Peninsula is not a place where we want to see another war. Um, And so let's be uh, let's be praying ardently for cooler heads to prevail and peace to persist. Um, Some good news out of the Tigray region of Ethiopia, Um, but I say good news. It's it's good news, but then then wound up in this is are some devastating numbers. So you know that we've been talking about um, this. It's it's kind of a civil war um, that is happening in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. It's been going on for a couple of years, and they have now arrived at a truce. It, It includes promises that food and uh, food will be sent and electricity restored to the Tigray region. In the two years of fighting, an estimated half a million people, 500,000 people have died, both from war and from the famine um, caused by the war. Um, Both sides have been accused by the United Nations of potential war crimes, and and the region is, is ravaged. And so let's be, you know, these are precious people. These are people who are image bearers of the living God. And um, and for those who are seeking to survive this day 
in the Tigray region of Ethiopia, um, life is life is unbearably hard. And so let's be praying not only for peace, but for provision. Speaking of um, provision and the relative wealth um, that the world enjoys during some seasons, I you know, like we talk about this time period being a time of unprecedented wealth. It's also a time of unprecedented um, human migration. Lots and lots of people, millions, tens of millions displaced around the world. Um, and some things coming out from some, um, I don't really know what to call these guys. They like, they like look at the financial indicators and they make all kinds of predictions about the future. So they're kind of forecasters. Um, they're strategists. There's a guy named Joel Brennanson who, um, you might know his name. He, he's the pollster. He was the pollster for Barack Obama in 2008 and in 2012. Um, he spends a lot of time um, looking at trends and things around the globe that he regards as like markers of the future. And um, and he asked a question recently in some polling that he'd never asked before. He was trying to gauge whether or not the language that is used by QAnon of like a global cabal, um, he was trying to gauge whether or not like that was sticky for people. Do people here in the United States and around the world actually believe that the world is controlled by a, quote, secret cabal? Um, 44% of registered voters believe that the world is controlled by a secret cabal. 44% of registered voters. Um, 66% of the Democrats that um, that were asked, 55% of Republicans and 54% of independents. So, Pretty amazing numbers there across uh, the board in terms of believing both that the U.S. is a strong democracy and believing that the world is controlled by a secret cabal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, that does not portend well for um, democracy here in the United States nor globally, um, because democracy is exactly the opposite of something being controlled by a secret cabal. So we live in challenging, challenging days, and uh, and people of truth need to be walking the truth out into the world that God so loves, and we need to be speaking truth um, about um, about the reality of life and the liberty that God created us to uh, to possess. All right, Adam Holtz is going to join us next um, because there are things going on in the world of make believe, and he's going to bring us some of those storylines next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Hey, Carmen, could you wait just a minute? I need to get off the phone with the secret cabal as we're planning <laughs> over taking over the rest of it. No, just just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> That's being recorded by the NSA. So there you go. Well, I just then the every FCC. now and then when go. I'm talking with my parents about politics on the phone, <clears throat> sometimes I'll just talk directly to the NSA. I'm like, hey, guys, if you're listening. <laughs> You, you can spend your time somewhere else. We're not a threat, okay? There are other <laughs> threats you need to be focusing on. I'm, I'm totally serious. I will sometimes, because we'll have really heated political conversations. I'm like, you know, for everybody else listening out there, here's where I just we're like, really at. I just like <laughs> to say, 
I like to say this. This is not a secure line. <laughs> I know. Uh, all right. Adam and I are going to have a very, very public conversation now, recognizing lots of other people are listening. And so we're so right. glad. Um, we're right. so glad to be talking with you today. Um, so I I found this, like, fascinating, very short story. Um, and apparently, like, some people have known about this, but I didn't know about it. Julia Roberts, yeah. like, has a relationship with the King family. And in fact, Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King paid the hospital bill when she was born. I mean, what? Why yeah. is there not a movie? Why is there not a movie about this? There should be a movie about this. I mean, that's it's really interesting. And the story is that her parents and I'm I'm looking directly at a quote here. So I'm paraphrasing Julia's quote, but they had a theater school in Atlanta. And as you know, the the old starving artist cliche goes, they didn't have enough money. Coretta Scott King wanted her kids to participate in their school because it was a, apparently a more accepting place. And so kind of as a thank you to them, they paid for Julia's birth. I mean, what a, it's a crazy story, right? It's such a crazy story. <laughs> and it's such a great story. Like that yeah, is a great, great, yeah. great story on great. all fronts, yeah. right? Crazy Every great. level. Crazy great. All right. Someone should make a movie about that because that is a super wonderful pro-life story. Um, Could you, uh, let's see, let's do this. Let's jump to uh, a parent's guide to Be Real because Be Real is an app that lots and lots of young people are downloading on their phone. You have a parent's guide um, posted at pluggedin.com. So brief us in on this. So Be Real is a new app that attempts to deal with several of the significant problems with social media in terms of how they influence kids. So one of those is that kids want likes and followers. There's no counter here that records likes or followers. And in fact, what the app does is once a day at a random time, it will give you a prompt to take a picture wherever you're at and you have two minutes to respond to the prompt. Now, The reason for this impromptu prompt is that it's all about combating the tendency to stage things, to take 100 selfies. There are also no filters. So it is trying to say, hey, we want to be a platform that gives users a chance to show what their lives really look like as they're going about their business wherever they're at each day. So you got two minutes. And if you miss the prompt, you can still take a picture later on. It just it doesn't share it instantly. So what happens is after you take a picture, everybody in your friend group that you have uh, basically okayed to be on with you, it'll share all of your pictures and you can look at what all of your friends are doing that particular moment. So in taking away the likes and taking away the followers and taking away filters and uh, taking away the stage aspect of self-focus they're wanting to promote a new kind of authenticity or what we used to just call a picture. <laughs> um, and, and I think in all of those ways, this is a, it's a nice development. Now, you can still th- scroll through a public feed of other people's photos, but theoretically, it should also combat that too, that it really isn't an app like you know Instagram or Facebook that's designed to just sit and mindlessly scroll or TikTok for that matter, for hours and hours and hours. So um, some good stuff here. Uh, I think that 
the people who put this together are really paying attention. Um, I will say both of my daughters have this app and every now and then we'll be doing something and, and they'll be like, Oh, it's my be real notification. And they'll stop and take a picture and look at everybody's pictures. And then they put it down and go back to what they were doing. So it doesn't become horrifically invasive. So mm-hmm. that is the scoop on be real. And with all social media, you can interact with people you don't know. It has geolocation features that parents will want to know about. So it's not perfect, but it's not perfect in the way that social media in general is not perfect. You definitely, you want to be engaged with your kids and know what they're doing on social media in general. And even though this app has fewer problems, that's still true here. All right. Um, Adam mentioned TikTok. Uh, big, big, big new warnings out from both the FCC and many, many others related to TikTok um, because of manipulated videos and photos, misleading edits, fake news stories and deep fake images of politicians um, warping the reality. And some two thirds of the American population has downloaded TikTok. And so just be aware that that's going on um, right now as well. Hey, we're going to take a very brief break. We'll be back with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and we'll check in on some reviews posted at PluggedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Adam Holtz is here from Focus on the Families Plugged In. All right, Adam, we have a listener who texted in. Um, Lori says, all right, I've never heard of a cabal. I don't even know if I'm spelling it right. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lori. Thank you for being, thank you for being the sane person in the audience. Mm -hmm. So it's C-A-B-A-L. Um, and a cabal is a shadowy group of powerful figures who are controlling something behind the scenes. Uh, if there is a verb that describes what cabals do, it is collude. They're arranging things. They're, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s and there was all sorts of misinformation about, you know, who was the Antichrist, you know, we would hear about the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission. You know, you hear people talk about George Soros and the things he's doing at Davos and you hear, you know, the names like the Rothschilds, the Gettys. I guess I actually know more about cabals than I thought I did. But but it's this idea that somebody is secretly in control of everything, pulling the strings. And it's I think it's an attractive idea because it, it's a way of trying to make sense of the evil in the world. It's like, well, this would explain why X, Y, and Z is happening. And I'm I'm thankful that we actually have a story that helps us make sense of the world and we don't have to rely on conspiracy theories. Uh, we know that the devil is active and we know mm-hmm. that he loses, right? And so there is a story that shapes the way we think about the world and we need to 
we need to let that bigger story shape the way we think about, you know, the latest conspiracy theory, you know, Illuminati confirmed, right? Or, uh, I mean, you could just go, you can go, you know, you watch National Treasure and, and you see Nick Cage and his whole thing with, uh, what's the group, the Masons, you know, there are, uh, throughout history, there are these, all these sorts of conspiracy theories, uh, or the Knights Templar, or, you know, take your pick. So there you go. Well, yeah, That's I mean, Hollywood, Hollywood has delivered a lot on this, on oh, this yeah. front. I, oh. I guess I was thinking like, you know, wag the dog or, um, right. I mean, I, there's like, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I guess maybe, um, Lori, the other language there that you could just think about is when people use the term deep state. They, they kind of mean the yeah. same thing. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, Adam, hit us up with some reviews this week. You got a lot of stuff posted at PluggedIn.com. Um, hit us with a couple yep. of them. Uh, Enola Holmes 2 is out on Netflix today. This is a sequel to Enola Holmes, which came out two years ago. Stars Millie Bobby Brown as Sherlock Holmes' little sister. And she's delightful. And this is uh, a story set in 1884. She has opened up her own detective agency, uh, but she is a young woman and nobody's really interested in hiring young women in 1884 until a very young girl comes in who works at a factory and says, my sister, my older sister has disappeared. Can you help me find her? So she, ends, uh, excuse me, ends up teaming up with her brother, Sherlock, to figure out what's going on. This is a rollicking adventure a little bit of profanity, some violence. Um, I think it has some nice things to say about gender equality. Uh, although we get Helena Bonham Carter as her mother, and she's sort of a, a terrorist feminist. She uh, she wants to blow things up to see cultural change. So that's kind of problematic. But if you've seen the first one, you know exactly what to expect here. <laughs> All right. Um, how about Wendell and Wilde? Yeah, you know, this is sort of a Tim Burton-esque uh, animated kids movie, except I don't think you want your kids watching it. It's about a mm -hmm. 13-year-old named Cat Elliot who is living in horrible guilt because while driving one day, she bit into an apple. There was a worm in it. She screamed. It caused her parents to have a car accident. Her parents were killed. She's been in orphanages ever since, and we know from the movies that orphanages are always bad. Uh, she's going to a Catholic school, and we also know from the movies that there are no good Catholic schools in the movies. They're always bad. Uh, so she has sort of a horrible existence, and she has this sort of a supernatural ability to talk to demons in the underworld. And these two demons named Wendell and Wilde have a magical hair cream that brings people back to life, and they want to come back to the land of the living to uh, sell their hair cream to make a fortune. So these are capitalist demons. Um, and Kat's not really interested in helping them, but she would like to see her parents again. So we have lots of undead things. We have demons. We have occult stuff. We have death. We have a lot of darkness. There's some nice moments here, but I mean, frankly, I'm not sure why anybody would watch this movie. It's just kind yeah. of grim, ultimately. Yeah. All right. So pass, uh, hard pass on that. Um, yep. I, uh, I, I, there's so many things that you and I could talk about yes. today. Um, super quick, let's touch on the family cost of Netflix new ad service plan. Also, you guys, you can find the full article on this at pluggedin.com. Yeah. You know, Netflix is trying to survive just like everybody else. And so they have a new plan 
that you can subscribe for $6.99 a month, but you'll get ads, you'll get commercials. And so it basically takes the streaming platform where you're just getting content and it turns it into broadcast television for all intents and purposes. And, you know, you may be able to control what you're watching, but as with commercials on any commercial focused platform, you can't control the commercials and you have to be aware as a parent that, uh, man, sometimes the commercials can be as bad or worse as the content that we're trying to wrestle with. Uh, and so if you go with that cheaper version, you just need to know that you've got another layer of responsibility in terms of sifting through content. But, you know, if you've ever watched normal broadcast TV, uh, you know, it's not sky is falling concerns. It's just, oh, Netflix is now like regular television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Adam, thank you as always so very much. There's a lot you guys uh, need to be checking out at PluggedIn.com. Additional reviews there about Goodnight Opie and Causeway. Um, definitely, definitely uh, reviews worth checking out this week as well as the blog. Well, so many things. Adam, as always, thank you for joining us. You bet. Talk to you next week. Yeah, that'd be great. That's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Now we're going to take a break for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is absolutely one of the um, hallmarks of the Christian faith. But why should I forgive? And how can I forgive? Our friend Tim Keller is back with his brand new book um, on this topic of forgiveness. And yes, we have copies to give away. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Forgiven, forgiven, child, there is freedom from all of it. Thrilled to have joining us today, Timothy Keller. Um, you know him from his service at Redeemer Church in New York City and from uh, the assistance that he has provided to so many across the country in planting churches in cities nationwide. You can find uh, him at Timothy Keller. Dot com. Tim, welcome back. Oh, I'm so glad to be back, and I always love being with you. Well, thank you so much. So um, the, the newest book is Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Both of those questions are really, really essential. But let's just start with maybe the big question. Why the topic of forgiveness? I feel like you are speaking directly to a particular cultural concern. Yes, even though I think my, my philosophy of writing books is on the one hand, I want to draw from my own experience. You know, I've uh, uh, I've entered what Psalm ninety says is the 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 end, <laughs> which is for you know three score years and ten, and um, I want to draw on what I've done in the past. And of course, every minister I know uh, not only preaches about forgiveness because it's in the Bible all over the place, but also you can't really do any kind of pastoral counseling. You you can't do marriage counseling. You can't do any kind of counseling without helping people with forgiveness. So you want to do something that you've had years and years and years of experience teaching, but then you don't want to come out with a book unless it also is relevant to the moment in addition. And I do feel that in a polarized society in which people now are looking at a compassionate, forgiving attitude as weakness, I've actually seen people call it effeminate, Mm. 
who say, well, yeah, forgiveness is something women do. But, you know, if you're a manly man, you're not doing that. Uh, and we're talking about Christians talking like this. So there's, there's a there's much more of a, a sense that we need to get out there and and destroy the enemy and not build bridges, not reconcile, not forgive. That's that that's for the past. And there is a there's and and actually uh, forgiveness is now seen as kind of problematic for a lot of people who say we should be after justice and righteousness and not be trying to forgive people who have perpetrated uh, evil. So I, I felt like it was something I both knew a lot about because I've been, you know, like most ministers, we talk about forgiveness constantly from the word of God. But it also seems like a cultural problem right now. So I think we tend to think as as Christians um, about individual forgiveness, the forgiveness that I need from God because of the condition of my right. sin, the forgiveness provided through Jesus Christ. But what you're talking about is not only that, um, the vertical right experience of the forgiveness that I need and experience and receive from God, but then the forgiveness that I am then required to extend horizontally to others. Can you talk about the vertical and the horizontal in relationship yeah. to forgiveness? Yes. In the, one of the things I discovered early on, they, they have to go together, or they if they don't go together— Basically, what Jesus is saying is if you've experienced vertical forgiveness, you will do horizontal forgiveness. And if you don't do horizontal forgiveness, then I don't think you actually experience vertical forgiveness. What else does he mean when he says, you know, if you don't forgive others, then God doesn't forgive you. In other words, if God's forgiven you, you will forgive others. If you're not forgiving others, then he is questioning whether you've really ever turned to God for forgiveness. And one of the things that was the most interesting to me was when I was studying to get ready to write the book, uh, the history of forgiveness, I came to realize that the Greeks and the Romans, forgiveness was not one of their virtues. If you go, if you go look through all their virtues, forgiveness is not one of them. It was very much something that only came on the scene when the people started reading the Bible. And the reason all the historians the, uh, that I read said that it wasn't a big deal for Greeks and Romans was they did they had no sense of the vertical. They felt like a, a virtuous person doesn't need forgiveness because you're living virtuously. So that sense that God forgives you, you need to live by that every human being before the face of God needs forgiveness. That wasn't there for the Greeks and Romans. And because that vertical was missing, there was almost no teaching about the horizontal. And that made me realize, oh, they have to go together. And Jesus puts them together. And that's what that's that's a very, very important part of the book. So I'm glad you talk. Um, you're, you're talking about this very early context of Greek and Roman culture, because I think one of the observations here is how the early church is really different from the society in which it found itself, right? Um, and then yeah. the parallels t- that we have to um, to today's modern experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? You know, how was the early church so different from its surrounding society, and how might that help us understand our current moment? Well. Uh, Larry Hurtado uh, wrote a book called uh, Destroyer of the Gods. Larry was a, uh, I miss him. Uh, he was uh, died of leukemia not too long ago, but he was a uh, New Testament scholar. And in the book, he actually lays out the fact that Christianity was in some ways the most persecuted of all the religions in the Roman Empire. But they were noted because if you, if you, uh, if you attacked a Christian, if you attacked the, them and burned their house down or something like that, Unlike the other religions, they didn't get together and attack you back. 
I mean, in other words, everybody else, when you attack them, they got, to, you know, you attack my people, I'm going to attack your people. And Christians didn't do it. And of course, you know, they were very famous for praying for people as they were being crucified in the Colosseum or fed to the lions. And they were just, there was, uh, and of course, as you know, in some people said, that's terrible. These people have no honor. You know, what they, they should take vengeance. They should get back. But it was also extremely attractive. See, like all the early Christian, the the early Christian behaviors were both many people were just offended by them, but other people saw it. They also saw the attraction of them. So the um, the early church was just known for being a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, People who had done terrible things could could find forgiveness there and it's also true that they, they didn't retaliate and so it would they were known in that way now you i think you're rightly connecting it maybe i'll let you ask the, the, the question but i'll just say i do think today there's on the part of a lot of conservative christians they don't want to be known as non-retaliatory they want mm-hmm. to be known as if you come after me and you write a nasty article about me i'm going to write a nasty article about you and it's maybe not, you know, going and burning somebody's house down, though, unfortunately, they, it could lead to that. Uh, right now, it's just they there's just we are just not known as peacemakers, forgivers, reconcilers, bridge builders, non-retaliation. We're just not known for that like the early Christians were. Yeah. And I think the confusion is in relationship to our understanding of justice and uh, and how we want to see justice and experience justice and and the confusion about that in the culture today, even as it is applied um, in this particular area of forgiveness and how and when and who should forgive and be required to forgive and expected to forgive and on and on and on. We're talking with Timothy Keller. The new book is Forgive. Why should I and how can I? And yes, we do have copies to give away today. For those of you wondering, you can text the word book to 877-933-248. Eight four to enter the drawing. We'll continue our conversation with Tim Keller in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Because we all make mistakes sometimes. Continuing our conversation with Timothy Keller, the book is Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? Tim, when you when you think about forgiveness and the experience of it, and even, you know, as a pastor, all of the times and spaces and places where you've had occasion to talk with people individually and congregationally um, about this topic, how is it that forgiveness is experienced, and then how is it extended? I have not been, like some people, the victim of some egregious wrong. I I have a a, a good number of examples in the book because they're they're famous, a lot of them, and they they are worthy of, of, uh, of reflection, of Christians or people who became Christians who were just terribly wrong. They were raped or they were they were uh, attacked and, and put in a wheelchair the rest of their lives, and they forgave the, the wrongdoers. They forgave the perpetrators. And those stories are really, really good. Uh, they still are relatively rare, even though they get, they're highly publicized. 
I actually think for most of us, if you're married, if you're not, not, not talking to singles, by the way, right now, if you're married, I think most of us discover the importance of real genuine forgiveness inside the marriage because your marriage is actually going to stall or else uh, it just, it, it's going to fall apart if you don't learn how to truly repent and truly forgive. And I think that uh, at first we think we know much more about forgiveness until you realize, uh, I mean, what I tended to do, and I think a lot of men do this, is that whenever Kathy would say, well, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And I said, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. In other words, I thought that was forgiveness. But what I was actually doing was I was trying to say, oh, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. And then a year later or two years later, I realized, you know what? I actually still resent my wife for things she did. And I never really learned to forgive her. And uh, wait a minute, what is forgiveness now? Um, and uh, am I still, you know, do I have a root of bitterness here? And I, I think most people, it's in relationships with friends or family, like with your parents or, or a spouse, is where most of us learn uh, that we're going to have to learn how to forgive and repent or else we're going to die this, or the relationship's going to die. That's where I think most people get it, even though some people actually have these very, very, very highly publicized and very egregious wrongs that are done to them. Tim, when we talk about um, we talk about forgiveness and and we talk about the things that we I mean need to experience, not only in relationship to God, but in relationship to one another or with one another in terms of our ongoing relationships, which is what you're pointing to now. I'm also wondering if I mean one of the things that I have I've heard said and and I think I would acknowledge that there's just a very few things that toward the end of our life, when we think about, when we consider the reality of our own mortality, there's just a very few things that we need to kind of be certain or sure of in our relationships with the people we love best in the world. And one of those is that we are forgiven, that whatever wrongs have been done, whatever, um, you know, slights have occurred, um, we're, that we are forgiven, that we mutually forgive one another. I'm wondering if in your own experience, you're um, that that's a part of this conversation. Yes, I I think when you say that we are forgiven, the the thing that you can be sure of, if you're getting near the end of your life and you realize you've got an uneasy conscience, you can absolutely get perfect forgiveness from God. Mm. You might have to do some. How do you say you need? You may need to brush up on your doctrine. I do think an awful lot of folks still think a lot of Christian folks still think of of forgiveness basically as merited self-flagellation <laughs> uh, it's sort of like if i just beat myself up and feel bad enough god will have mercy on me and that's just not the way forgiveness works according to the bible forgiveness works because jesus christ was beaten up he was literally beaten to a pulp and and crucified for you and for you to try to beat yourself up and feel terrible as a way of kind of meriting god's mercy is really a way of basically saying Jesus wasn't enough. And it's just, it's an insult. And I think you may have to uh, work on that, but I, I think that's the first place you go because you have to know that God forgives you. And yeah, I don't think you can face the end of your life unless you sense that. Now, sometimes we've got other people in our lives that we would love to have, you know, an alienated sibling or a, or a spouse or somebody like that, that we feel like, boy, I would really feel much better if that person really forgave me. Sometimes those people will withhold it because they, they themselves don't have a good understanding of, the, of themselves as, a, as sinners that live only by grace. But I think ultimately that, that can be very hurtful. And yet the fact is that God's forgiveness 
uh, overrules anybody else who's trying to get at you by withholding forgiveness. You can still face the end with peace if you know you have God's. And God's is available to anybody who really grasps the gospel. The gospel is forgiveness. Um, that is um, that is something that you clearly articulate in this book. Um, one of the things I love, uh, Tim, about the book is the appendices, or are the appendices. I feel like there's a whole book in the appendices yeah. <laughs> to this book. Um, uh, when And when you talk about brushing up on your doctrine, wow, um, I think that the appendices are a really helpful tool in that the conversation about, um, about debt— uh, I think is really, really good um, because I don't uh, I don't think that mm-hmm. everybody thinks they necessarily owe anything in relationship to sin um, and that that debt is paid in the person of Jesus Christ uh, upon the cross. And so I uh, yeah, the the doctrine part is really helpful and wonderful um, in here as well. I'm wondering if, as we close this conversation about the book, forgive, um, there's anything that you want to be sure, like, if you could make one point, what would it be? Well, you actually already said it, but I'd just like to, uh, a little earlier, but I'd like to underline it. One of the key insights I got as writing, writing, while I was writing the book, and also that I tried to convey, is that uh, there is no contradiction between pursuing justice and granting forgiveness. In fact, if you don't internally forgive people, you won't actually pursue justice, you'll pursue vengeance. Uh, and therefore, you actually do need to forgive before you pursue justice. Otherwise, you'll be actually just doing payback. And you will be, you will usually overreach, you'll, you'll usually go beyond what justice really demands. And the motivation will be obvious to all the people around you that you're not really after justice, you're after, you're after payback. And then what will happen is people will get their backs up and they will they will not see it as justice. They'll see it as nothing but, uh, you know, uh, you know, you're going on the warpath. And therefore, I, instead of saying that instead of saying that forgiveness and justice are, are contradictory, you need to say you, unless you do real forgiveness, you won't really pursue justice. And if you do forgiveness, you'll be able to pursue justice better. That's one of the main insights of the book, not the only one, but one I think is very important for modern uh, readers to know. Yeah, it's um I would say that the conversation that takes place in the book where I am challenged to think about forgiveness being the heart of the gospel um and my um temptation to call for like swift forgiveness which just demonstrates my lack of empathy for the depth of another person's pain or the way in which they've been wronged and then That's coming right. to the realization that I have then made it harder for them to actually receive the gospel. Like, I have become a stumbling block in expecting them to forgive quickly because I think that's a virtue or a value, it, when in fact, the the harm done to them is so great that, um, like, I'm, I'm demonstrating a lack of empathy in in expecting or demanding that they be forgiving. So it's been, it's a challenging book and it, I think, leads the individual reader to really examine um, ourselves. And so, you know, thank you for the gift of, um, you know, a, a rock solid doctrinally good book that is also personally challenging and incredibly timely. Wow, thanks. Yeah. 
The book is Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? The author is Timothy Keller. Um, You can connect directly with Tim at his ministry website, timothykeller.com. We are giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Tim, thank you so much for the gift of your time today. Thanks for the gift of your thoughtful questions, really. Thank you. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. what would I do without you? The The text line is blowing up. So thank you to everybody who is interested in Tim's latest book. Um, don't miss out on this opportunity um, uh, to enter the drawing for the copies of Forgive that were given away today. He texts the word book to 877-933-2484. For those of you inquiring about Tim's health, um, we did have an opportunity to have a little off-air conversation with him about that. Um, He's so thankful and grateful for your prayers. Um, The chemo has run its course, and he's now um, engaged in um, an experimental treatment, but so far, so good. So let's be praying that God would continue to bless him and um, and heal him. For those of you not aware, um, Tim was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer a couple of years ago. So praying for he, uh, his health and his family and the opportunities God continues to give him to bless us all. Um, thank you for those of you uh, checking in also, reminding me that, yes, this is the weekend we fall back in terms of the clock. And so you're going to get an extra hour this weekend. What are you going to do with your extra hour? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with your extra hour? So let's make let's make really profitable use of the extra hour we're going to get this weekend. And some of you are saying, you know what? I'm just getting back the hour that you robbed me of in the spring. Okay, okay. Well, um, hopefully by now you've gotten over that and you can find some useful purpose for the hour you now have as an extra gift this weekend. Yes, uh, it is National Chicken Lady Day. Um, for those of you who are wondering, hey, what's the farm report? Well, um, it's an excellent day here on the farm as a chicken lady uh, celebrating National Chicken Lady Day. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do on National Chicken Lady Day, but I am thankful that all our hens are laying. We have a lot of eggs right now, and so it's excellent here on the farm. I'm also in the process of eradicating rodents, and so, um, you know, two in the traps this morning. There you go. Two in the traps this morning. Lots and lots of them left. Mm-hmm. You can be praying for us about that. Uh, Jim is in the process of sowing winter greens um, that will grow in the greenhouse over the winter. Uh, and I think that that's probably, I mean, you know, that's pretty much what's going on on the farm these days. Lots of leaf blowing. My, my guess is if you live in a place where the leaves have fallen or are continuing to be in the process of falling, then and you also have a yard that, um, you know, <clears throat> you don't want to turn into just a wretched mess, then like us, you spend some time this uh, this time of the year blowing leaves. Yeah, so there's some leaf blowing going on uh, here on the farm. What's happening where you are? I'd love to hear from you. Check in with me on the text line, 877-933-2484. If you haven't done so already, really encourage you today to connect with us on social media. I am at Carmen LaBerge. I've got a new website where you can connect with me, CarmenLaBerge.com. You ought to be downloading the Faith Radio app if you haven't done so already, because it's a great way for you to share this ministry 
with other people because the app um, makes it super simple, right, to to share whether or not you listen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.